Welcome to High Energy Health, where together we explore the leading edge of wellness and happiness. I'm your host, Dawson Church. By choosing this time together, you're declaring your commitment to a positive mindset, elevated emotions, and a great life. Thanks for joining me for today's episode. Hello and welcome to High Energy Health. My name is Dawson Church, and each week on the show, I bring you leading edge information about health, well-being, and happiness. I was working recently on a column for Unity Magazine, for which I'm the science columnist, and I decided to write a, uh, a little blurb on smiling. So I looked at the research on smiling, and the research on smiling is really interesting. A meta-analysis of smiling studies done over the last 30 years shows that smiling literally produces an elevation in mood. Even if you don't feel like it, if you smile, it literally boosts your sense of well-being. Not only that, it also turns certain genes on and actually shifts your body's physiology as well. So just the mechanical act of smiling, even if you don't feel like it, actually can boost your mood and then shift your gene expression. Another cool study showed that people can tell auditory cues of smiling when they can't see your mouth. Now think about that for a moment. I know when I was in the, after the, uh, the pandemic happened in 2020, and I was in my favorite grocery store, and I would catch the eye of the grocery store clerk, and then she couldn't tell if I was smiling or not, I thought. So I put it to my mouth and said, I'm really smiling. <laughs> well, it turns out that people know. Even if your face is covered with a mask, people are able to detect a smile by the tone of your voice. So smile, it really helps. Not only that, but enthusiasm and happiness is contagious. There's a whole chapter in my book, Mind to Matter, about emotional contagion. And these brilliant researchers apply the principles of epidemiology, the way that epidemics spread through populations to emotions. And they find that our emotions are infectious. In one famous experiment, the researchers tweaked the Facebook feeds of people to make them a little bit lighter, a little bit darker emotionally, those people went on to produce emotional contagion in 680,000 other people after their Facebook feeds were tweaked. So everything we do, even seemingly minor things that, like which stories we choose to share and show and pass along are an agent of emotional contagion. So smile and be an agent of positive emotional contagion wherever you go. If you'd like to learn all about the science of emotional contagion, it's in chapter two of Mind to Matter. And thanks to a really generous gift from my wonderful publisher, Hay House, you can get the book free at mindtomatter.com. You pay shipping and handling. Not only that, but you also get seven meditations from the book, also free at mindtomatter.com. And we're now gathering data from people who are doing those meditations. We're gathering data on anxiety, depression, pain, happiness levels, and we're finding it's affecting all of those things. And we're also gathering data on productivity. Now, I don't know yet what the results are. We've got raw data in from several thousand people so far. We'll soon start to collate that and analyze that. 
that it looks as though from the raw scores that people are getting significantly more productive at their jobs, at their work, when they get happier. So emotional contagion doesn't just happen in your life and improve your immediate surroundings, those around you, spreads out to those beyond you, and it makes you more productive at your day job. So I encourage you to smile, orient yourself using a meditation first thing in the morning. There's a whole field of science called chronobiology that'll tell you why it's important to meditate first thing in the morning. I won't go into it now, but it's there in mind to matter as well. And chronobiology has produced at least two Nobel prizes already in science or physiology. So go ahead and check it out, but use that, that ability to shift your consciousness into that positive frame first thing in the morning with one of those seven meditations at mindmatter.com and your day is more productive. If your day is 20% more productive, if your week's 20% more, more productive, that means you accomplish in four days what used to take you five. You get one extra day on in productivity and research in mind to matter shows that actually people get even more productive than that as they consistently meditate and put themselves in flow states. So you're doing good for yourself, doing good for the world, and you're doing much better in your regular work. So I'd encourage you again, smile, meditate, use these wonderful tools we have nowadays to produce these calm and loving and compassionate states in yourself. And when you smile, the whole world smiles with you. So with that said, that's our quick look at science for this week. And again, more of that at mindtomatter.com. My guest today is therapist Stephanie James, and her book is called The Spark. The subtitle is Igniting Your Best Life, and she has exercises, and it's based on her 30 years of experience, 30 years experience helping people find that spark of energy, that spark of wisdom, that spark of potential that often is hidden within. Stephanie, wonderful to have you here. Thank you, Dawson. So wonderful to be here with you. Let's go back to an early state uh, stage of your career and discovery. And let us, let us know what made you decide to embark on this career of being a therapist and helping other people. Well, so it, I think it's really interesting because I have found pictures of myself when I was a little girl, like four years old. And there's this great picture of this little friend and I, and we're there in our little fuzzy coats. And I have my hand on her shoulder and I'm tipping my head towards her. And I have just this like <laughs> empathetic look on my face. And I, I think it's just been something that's always been a natural for me. I, I was really a, I wouldn't say oversensitive, but highly sensitive kiddo. So I was always attuned to other people. I could go into a room and kind of take the temperature of everyone in the room and just really had this empathic sense. Ironically, though, my first year of college, I was in this exploratory phase and I thought, oh, I'm getting out of this small town, Fort Collins, Colorado, I lived in. And I went to art school in LA and that was a year and then came back. And because of at the time, this is going to date me, but 1986 is when they had the bombings at the American Embassy in London, where I had gotten into art school for the next year. And that was one of those serendipitous things that ended up changing my whole life. I stayed here in Fort Collins, met with a professor, really good mentor and friend of mine, Larry Bloom from 
Colorado State University. And he said, oh my goodness, girl, you are a natural. You need to do, you know, something in the therapy capacity. I know the advisor here at CSU, go talk to her. And so that's really how it started. And I think it was such a natural fit because I'm one of those people, much like my mother and grandmother, I, I come by this very naturally where this, there's this sense of not knowing a stranger and really practicing that art of having an open heart, being compassionate, being tolerant. And so helping other people to find some of those same things within them has just seemed like a very natural journey for me. And then that sensitivity, I know that many of our certified practitioners at EFE Universe report when they first, for example, encounter the whole idea of the highly sensitive temperament, they suddenly realize, oh my goodness, I am one. And I know when I edited the book, EFT for the Highly Sensitive Temperament, written by a friend of mine called Ru Haas, I was like, wow, I check all the boxes over here. And so many of our practitioners, many people in the healing arts are actually highly sensitive. And then you, you discover you are, and it helps create empathy. It helps create connection. It helps you really attune to other people. I love the, the word attunement too. It comes from developmental psychology. And it means being able to really tune into the emotions and the feelings and the reality picture, the worldview of, of somebody else. And so that's the, the bright side of, of, of being highly sensitive. The dark side and the difficult side, the shadow, is that we can be very easily hurt and be overwhelming to deal with the world outside of ourselves. Did you have any of those issues as well, personally? You know, I, I feel like I've been really blessed. I, mean, I would say as a teenager, maybe that was when I definitely was more susceptible to that. But as I've progressed in my career, I think absolutely, you were just speaking about it in the opening, having a meditation practice, something that I've practiced for three decades. And I've just noticed that the longer I've gone and in the different capacities that I meditate, that's given me that inner resourcefulness. And that sense of resiliency. So, you know, I'm, I'm a transformational life coach as well, and I'm a trauma specialist. And so I'm having to sit with people that are, you know, in, in two very different places in their life and yet being able to hold both states of being without taking it on. So that's really been a beautiful gift. Do you do, do anything between sessions to not take it on? Like I had Judith Orloff on a while back and uh, she wrote a book called The Empath Survival Guide. She's a wonderful psychiatrist at UCLA. And she was talking about what she does between sessions to kind of let go of that energy in her psychiatry practice. So she isn't having it accumulate during her day and then taking it back home to a relationship with her partner. And I'm just wondering, do you have any kind of special practice you use to avoid accumulating that energy? So I, I would say one of the, the best things for me is doing either, if it's a really heavy session, making sure that you get up out of your chair and you're moving around physically. And, you know, there's beautiful breathing techniques. Tony Robbins does a priming technique that's a breath technique and Wim Hof as well. And it's really taking 40 rapid breaths in and it just alters your state of being. So it can really feel like a release as well as just this beautiful calming. And so I think that's something that I've utilized in the past. And I also, I feel very, very blessed that I have an amazing soul tribe that I'm connected to. And so I, you know, I encourage other people when, you know, I think sometimes too, Dawson, as, as healers or as, you know, people that are in the healing profession, what can happen is we forget to take care of ourselves and how essential that is that we have our soul tribe or our support people. So even if it's a quick text like, hey, I'm having a you know, tough day, send me some light, you know, I've learned how to reach out, how to do that when that's necessary. 
So really practicing that that self-care and making sure that I have time to decompress. And if I need to just share, I'm struggling, being able to do that. Those seem to really be helpful. Yeah. And that just happened. You gave yourself that. You created that. So that by itself was an act of self-care to find that, that soul tribe and then learn those techniques from Tony Robbins and Wim Hof so that you're able to then release and not carry that forward. And of course, if you can be that empath and then shine a light and spark that awareness in other people, and then also then not have that, all that, that difficult energy accumulate around you, you are able to be far more powerful and far more able to tune in and help catalyze change in other people. So powerful to do that. And then this whole idea of the spark, what gave you that idea as a title? I know you're working on the movie as well. I watched the trailer. Oh, <laughs> and some of my, my, my friends like Jacob Lieberman and Larry Darcy were in there. And so uh, what gave you the, the, the this notion of spark? Well, so really interestingly, you, and I can tell you first, my, my definition of the spark is truly our essence. So it's that part inside of us that oftentimes it gets covered up with life circumstances. I think, you know, we're born these wild, as, as, as Don Miguel Ruiz says, you know, we have this wild nature and yet we get very domesticated and we can really start covering up or shutting down that spark inside of us. But it's always there. We could call it the God spark. We could call it our, you know, essential self. And so part of the work that I, I do with people is helping them to excavate that spark that's always there inside of us. And, you know, the, the Sufis say, you know, water can't wet it, the wind can't blow it out, fire can't burn it. It's always alive within us. So I think it was really interesting because what happened, I've, I've had that idea in my mind and I had one of those serendipitous moments again, where I was thinking in my office, I had a break and I had my door cracked open. I'm sitting there going, gosh, how do I get back into radio? Because I love this platform. And I had done a couple guest spots on a local radio show. And just a couple moments after that, I hear this knock, knock, knock on the door. And it's my producer, my, you know, my now producer who came in and said, Hey, have you ever thought of doing a radio show? <laughs> wow. Now I mean, it was rapid manifestation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it literally was that quick. And within a couple days, I had had a dream where I just saw it was the spark igniting your best life. And I could see, you know, the, the title of the book is also, you know, the tagline for my show. And, you know, I think that that's been just a central piece of how can we spark one another. And to go back to what we were just talking about, I think one of the biggest things that I've learned to do to really help myself is continuing that healing journey myself. And as I continue to try to be as clear of a conduit as I can be for health and healing, then I bring that through my own healing to others. And so I really do believe, Dawson, that's one of, one of the greatest gifts that we can actually give, not just to ourselves, but to the world is our own healing. Absolutely. Yeah. And a healed person has that influence on those around them. And it happens energetically. It happens emotionally. It happens vibrationally with the whole idea of resonance. And Jacob Lieberman, one of your, your, your guests, talked about the whole idea of resonance in his book, Luminous Life, and how we're resonators and we're resonating with something that's more than ourselves. So the spark in us is resonating with the spark of, of the universe. That is who we are, what we are, what we do, and what we can learn to really amplify in our lives. And, you know, I, I have to dovetail that with just a comment about Jacob Lieberman, because Jacob became one of my very dear friends. Not only has he been on the show several times, but he was the person who sparked the initial spark, if you will, for the movie, for the film. 
And I had a guest gift me actually a trip to Maui two years ago. And that's where I met Jacob. That's where he lives. And we spent a couple mornings together having breakfast and talking ideas. And then literally through a meditation, the idea was sparked like, wow, I know some of the most serving hearts and brilliant minds on the planet. What if we had an event where they came together and had their own experience first, didn't just come and present and do a summit, get on the stage and get off. And that is what happened. As you said, Jacob Lieberman, Larry Dossie, George and Sadita, Capanelli, Misa Hopkins, Gabriella and Solomon Masala, Stephanie Schwartz. We had this beautiful, oh, Stephen Trudy Behrman. We just had this beautiful group of people come together and we sang together and we meditated and we danced and we ate wonderful catered meals. And then after two days, all that beautiful alchemy that had all been filmed along with these beautiful individual interviews where people were sharing their pain. They were sharing their challenges because we're, we're not born enlightened and nobody gets out of, you know, life unscathed. And I think we can learn that it's through those challenges that that becomes oftentimes what becomes what is illuminated within us and then becomes the gift that we give to humanity. And so- Yeah, that that was really what got brought out in the film. And that third day, we brought it to a live audience and everyone stayed. The presenters were part of the audience. So it was just like, as Jacob Lieberman says, we're all the same height. You know, we're all in this together. And so it's it's how we can help one another heal. And of course, at the time this all happened, there was no COVID, there was no pandemic. And the things that were spoken about in that film were so amazingly exactly about what we're going through now. And when you connect with people who are going through what we've been going through, who don't know these resources, how do you bridge the gap? Like what I've been been aware of is I have one community and the people are meditators and they're tappers, they're using EFT to let, let go of their negative emotion and they're reading uplifting books and consuming great media and they're fine. They're in great shape. Often of their businesses are doing really well and they're, they've used the pandemic and they've used the economic crash to actually redo what they offer in the world and be even more successful in it. And so there are these people who are just thriving and do thrive among chaos. I mean, the, from extreme examples like Viktor Frankl in, in the concentration camp in World War II, who was able to maintain his joy. And now we have people who are just able to thrive in the midst of chaos. And then my heart was really touched by the stories of people who can't Stephanie. And I, I talk to people and they're just completely sunk in doom and gloom. And it's actually quite hard to even find an entry point to talk to them. How how do you, what do you do? What do you do? Yeah, well, and so interestingly, I mean, everything you were just talking about resonates so deeply with, with my own experience and what I encourage my clients to do. And I definitely have those clients come in that are in that place of hopelessness. And even of course, before the pandemic, being a trauma specialist, you know, I definitely have worked with people who have just gone through horrific things, or maybe went through something horrific 20 years ago and are still haunted by it. And so they're not able to plug in to life in the same way that they would like to. So I think one of the first things that I usually do with people is set up, just as you're saying, this morning routine. And it's not that you ignore the emotions or anything else going on, but we have to start changing a mindset. So first I have people identify what their limiting beliefs are, and then project themselves. We do some visualization a year from now. What would they like to be thinking about? And we go through all the different categories of their life. So whether it's finances, relationship, health and fitness, 
spirituality, you know, self-concept. We go through all of those. And then we develop a morning routine that I really invite people to do very much the same things that you're talking about, where they're doing morning mindfulness practice and meditation. And I always say, even if it's just 30 minutes where you're doing 10 minutes of meditation, 10 minutes of exercise, and then 10 minutes of gratitude, where you're writing down exactly what you're grateful for, and then putting a hand on your heart and marinating on that a little bit you know, to really get it to, to sink in. And we know, you know, that gratitude is the highest vibrating emotion that we have. And so we also know from the principle in physics, what we focus on expands. So it becomes essential, what I call the bookends to our day. So how we start our morning off. And as, as you know, you know, Bruce Lipton tells us about being in theta brainwave state, first thing in the morning, last thing at night, that's when we're most susceptible to input. And so we want to be doing these practices. It's like training our brain. So we're priming our brain. We're priming our emotions. We're priming our body to show up as its best self for that day. And, and what, what that does then is help us not be so defined by our outer circumstances. We start cultivating this inner life and this inner life of showing up for ourselves and allowing ourselves to be priority in our own lives. What a powerful practice. And to begin to start your day that way is important to marinate. I love that phrase you used in those positive emotions, not just to feel them temporarily, but to actually marinate in them. Research, of course, that ancient 1946 uh, statement of Hebb's law, but Donald Hebb said that neurons that fire together wire together. If you can keep that set of neurons firing for 20 seconds, 30 seconds, you literally start to, to wire. In one of my books called This Brain, I have an electron microscope image and a link to the YouTube video of this showing two neurons and they actually start, start to wire in real time. So they're firing together and literally they grow together and touch each other and interlock their dendrites. And the whole, the whole process takes 12 seconds to do that. So if you're doing that every morning, you're building those neural bundles. We're going to take a, a short break right now. You're listening to High Energy Health. My guest is Stephanie James. Her book is called The Spark. Please stay tuned. We'll be right back after a break. Hello and welcome back to High Energy Health. I am your high energy host, Dawson Church. I love sharing this stuff. I was talking to a friend of mine recently. He said, Dawson, what you do so well is you get enthusiastic about science and make other people enthusiastic about it too. And I am. I just love science. I love reading the studies. I love seeing what shifts us. I love quantifying things. Like, I don't, I don't wanna know how, I, wanna, I mean, knowing you're happier is something that I like to hear, but then I wanna measure. Are you 13% happier or 17.5% happier? So that's why I do all this measurement and, and research and really quantify how people change, how they can shift, how they can really, really revise their lives and those kinds of practices that do that. It's important to practice these things. So I often say on the show that I want to inspire you, but I want to inspire you to take action. And so Stephanie gave us a practice in the first segment, in the previous segment. And that practice was a morning routine. It was putting your hand on your heart, which by itself is really helping center yourself. And then gratitude, and then cultivating a positive mindset. And she has a wonderful heading early on in the book 
about cultivating a relationship with yourself. That's one of the practices she recommends. Let's talk more about that, Stephanie, because some people, many people don't have a, a sense of, of themselves. They feel as though they're just being pushed and pulled around by out of circumstances, and there's no strong core there to work with. Yeah. You know, I, I find that we've heard forever, just love yourself or be your own best friend. But you and I know, you know, and, and I know from over three decades of being in the, you know, professional growth and mental health field, it's not that easy. We don't just flip a switch or say that phrase and we begin a relationship. So leading back to a little bit of what we were talking about before the break, I think one of the essential pieces in learning what I call how to befriend yourself is really starting with making yourself a priority in your own life. And that is not selfish. You know, we think, oh my gosh, if I tend to myself first, and it's that old cliche when you're in the airplane to put on your own oxygen mask first, and then you can better assist others. Well, that's the truth. And so when we start showing up for ourselves, and that's why that morning routine can be so essential. We say, okay, I have put aside this 30 minutes. I've put aside this hour, however long you can work into your schedule where you show up and you do these things that are resourcing you. Now, what starts being really interesting about this, we know that it takes 21 to 30 days for something to become a habit. And so as you start approaching the 21 to 30 day mark, you start noticing, wow, this isn't taking a lot of effort. And you start noticing, wow, I am really taking care of myself. I'm showing up for myself. I have my own back. And I think the repetitiveness of it to continue doing it is so essential. And if we just start with telling ourselves, okay, 21 to 30 days is what I'll do then I think that's truly what can help us to stay on track and really practice that. So it does become a habit of care. And, you know, I liken it to if you're starting a new friendship with someone, you're not going to automatically trust them. The, the first few days, maybe you speak with them. It's not like you're going to be like, okay, well, now I'm going to have you start picking up my kids from school and I'm going to tell you all my deepest, darkest secrets. We just don't do that. It takes time to cultivate a deep relationship and it takes time to cultivate this trust with ourselves. And it's so essential. Once we do that, I think, you know, and, and as I was saying at the very beginning with, with these bookends to our day, a piece that we can wrap up self-care is literally only five minutes at night. It doesn't take long. But again, it's this beautiful way that you can show up for yourself and you're building relationship. Like I'm going to make how I go to sleep a priority for me and taking care of myself. And again, this is around mindset and the great late Wayne Dyer, you know, he said what we're thinking about the last five minutes of our day, that's what we're going to be marinating on the next six, seven, eight, nine hours. So we want it to be positive content. And I've found something Dawson that works so beautifully for me and my transformation clients, my regular clients is having a stationary object. I have this beautiful orange rock that one of my girlfriends had given me from a creek in front of her house in Arkansas. And to just hold on to that object. And it's great too, because you can have it on your nightstand. And so then it's a visual reminder or visual cue to do this exercise. But what you do is you hold that and you think to yourself, what was the best thing that happened today? Now, this is powerful for two reasons. We have that natural negativity bias in our brain that's always scanning the environment for a threat. So it naturally is noticing things that are negative. So, you know, that's why, you know, you touch the hot stove once when you're five or six years old, you never have to touch it again. It's filed away. And the, unfortunately, though, when we're having positive experiences, that's more like fried eggs on a Teflon pan. 
it just slides right out of the brain. Our brain doesn't need it to survive. Our survival isn't dependent on it. So it can really get pitched out of the, out of the file cabinet, the brain. And so what we're doing is we're telling the brain, Hey, this thing really matters. Pay attention. And the other lovely thing about the way that our mind works is what we hold up in our mind, our mind experiences is happening now. And so as we bring our favorite thing up that happened this day, and then we close our eyes and we can picture it and, you know, even remember what it looked like. What did we smell? What did we hear? We're hardwiring that and we are releasing those same chemicals as when we first had the lovely experience during the day. And then again, it's what sets up the mindset that continues the following day. Our no, mind starts uh, searching for more of those experiences. More of the same. Yeah, you know, I've been using my little mnemonic device has been to picture myself, but just in a whole like room full of people meditating, uh, great figures from history, great philosophers, saints, inspirational humanitarian figures. And I just imagine myself sitting there in a room and, and I, there I am in, in the company of all these wonderful people. So I'll, I'll do that before I go to bed at night. And so I'll, this, in one Buddhist tradition, they say meditating in the field of a thousand Buddhas. And so you meditate in the field of a thousand Buddhas. And so you're to sleep that way. You wake up, field of a thousand Buddhas. And then what began to happen for me personally was after a few years of that, I began to wake up in the middle of the night just to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night. And I wake up and I was in the field of a thousand Buddhas. So now I'm going to sleep in the field of a thousand Buddhas. I'm waking up in the field of a thousand Buddhas. In the middle of the night, I'm waking to the field of a thousand Buddhas. And you're basically then spending seven or eight hours of your night wiring your brain and pruning other parts of your brain to be in that state. And it, it's, it's really powerful. We're going to go to a break right now. We'll look at more self-care exercises when we come back. Stephanie's book is called The Spark igniting your best life. Please join Stephanie and I back again here in just a moment. Hello and welcome back to High Energy Health. I'm your host, Dawson Church, and I love sharing with you every week on the show the remarkable discoveries that are now being made at the forefront of health, of wellness, of happiness, and they show we can be much happier than we might realize. One of the, the difficult things I've talked to a couple of other neuroscientists who've both done large-scale studies of over 2,000 people, and one of our challenges in as we write about this as science writers writing for you, the general public, is we have a very difficult time conveying to people how happy research shows you can get. Like in one really remarkable study of Tibetan monks, we looked at a brainwave called gamma. And gamma is the wave of integration and creativity and resilience and joy and happiness. And we found that people had people in these flow states that I train you into in my meditations and in my book, Mind to Matter, I train you in these flow states. We found that people in those flow states didn't have, a, you know, we were looking for gamma. We thought we, we, might, we might, might find 20% more gamma, or even 25 or 30% or 40% more gamma in their brains. What we found was 700% more gamma. In other words, they were 700 times as happy, 700% as happy, seven times as happy as they were at baseline. That's how happy you can get. And honestly, we sit around and scratch our heads in neuroscience conferences saying, how do we 
convey this to people. We, we, we wish they were 7% happier. We could explain that to people. But seven times as happy, that's a hard number to grasp. But really, you can be enormously more happy than you are today. That's what science shows. So to grab my book, Mind to Matter, go to mindtomatter.com. Definitely download the seven free meditations. They will help get you there. We're studying them. We've shown in a randomized controlled trial in just four weeks of listening to them, structural changes happen in the brain. The suffering self shuts down the default mode network, downregulates, and the empathy network, the compassion network, dramatically raises its level of activation. So it happens in only four weeks. You can have those meditations for free at mindtomatter.com. So do those things for yourself and watch how happy you start to get. Take a look at Stephanie James's book, The Spark. It's well worth using. It's very simple. It's very practical. It's full of exercises you can do to find and ignite that spark in your own life. Now, Stephanie, I spent about 10 years of my scientific career working with people who were highly traumatized. I did research that involved Rwandan genocide orphans. I did a research that involved uh, victims of gender violence in the Congo Civil War. In my nonprofit, we worked with over 21,000 veterans with PTSD, done six randomized controlled trials of that population. And when I would sit down with a Vietnam veteran and hear his or her story, or an Iraq veteran, or an Afghanistan veteran, and then you know this joy, I know this joy, but then you try to explain how to spark your joy the way you do in the book. The gap between where they are, what they know, and the state we're describing is so great that, you know, honestly, I don't know how to, how to bridge it. What do, you, what do you do? How do you work with people who are traumatized? Yeah, such a great question, because you're exactly right. As you were saying that, I immediately thought of a gentleman I had worked with who had been a fireman and a first responder in the Oklahoma City bombing in the daycare. And all these years later was still waking up in the middle of the night, having night terrors about it. So the PTSD was still very active. So a lot of these techniques that we're talking about when we're saying, well, these are some concrete things that you can do, we're, we're telling people to also use logic. And what we know about trauma is trauma isn't stored in our prefrontal cortex. You can't just intellectualize it or analyze it or process it away. It's really held in the fight or flight. And it's very, very physiologically hooked up. People, that's why people are triggered. Again, it's not happening now, but they're experiencing it very often as if it is. And so what I find amazingly helpful is the protocol EMDR, which is eye movement and, desens and desensitization reprocessing, which, you know, nowadays is we don't just use our fingers or just, you know, use the light boards where people are utilizing just eye movements. What we're doing is having headphones and hand sensors. So there's these corresponding vibrations and tones. And what that's doing is it activates the left brain, right brain cohesion, the hemispheric cohesion. So people are able to process the trauma because the, they're not just going to be able to wish themselves into joy. They're not going to be able to think themselves into joy. So what EMDR does is it really changes how these things are held in the neurostructure. So even after one session of EMDR, the neuropathways don't look the same. 
So what's what's been brilliant in the 14 years that I've done this, I just feel so honored to be witness of so many people's profound healing through this. And once they're able to reprocess the trauma, then that allows them to open up. That's the clearing of that conduit, if you will. So they're able then, they can have, the thing with EMDR is it separates the memory from the physiological response. So it's not that you ha- don't have the memory anymore, but oftentimes people do say, it's not crisp anymore. I can't quite grasp them. It seems like it happened another lifetime ago. And so they're able then to not be triggered and access joy, access happiness, access life again. And I have to share with you, the whole reason I got trained in EMDR was, and this has been, gosh, 16 years ago, perhaps my father and stepmother are also psychologists in Austin. And so I had asked my dad, who was the longest client that you've ever had? And without giving details about this gentleman, he said, well, I had someone that was a client of mine for eight years. And he said he had so much PTSD that we were doing talk therapy and I was trying to keep him alive. And, you know, a very long time. Well, he was a soldier in the Black Hawk Down incident, if you remember that. And so when my father got trained then in EMDR, this gentleman was not only just a client of his for about three more months, it's very short term treatment. And it's amazing what it does. To me, the testament in it working was a year later, my father was this gentleman's officiant in his wedding in Cancun. (laughs) And and this was a man who could not leave his home without a tremendous amount of anxiety couldn't go to the grocery store, couldn't go to the movies. And yet after working with my father for eight years, still having horrific PTSD and then going through EMDR and getting his whole life back. Now, these treatments are remarkable. And I've written a little bit about this. What's common to all of these treatments, EMDR, yoga therapy, deep breathing, diabetic breathing therapies, EFT, somatic experiencing, all of these super successful new trauma therapies have in common the body, that we are trying to think our way out of the, the horror in our minds. We're actually literally giving our bodies physical signals of safety. And so you do the tapping, you do the eye movements, you do whatever it, the intervention is that keeps you in your body. And that's when you aren't dissociating and you're able to stay in your body, re-experience, but now from a safe place, realize it's not triggered to go to fight or flight and break the association between, between the memory and going into that fight or flight response. It's amazing to watch it happen to people after they've struggled with it for, for decades very often. And suddenly that physiological response, I think is so important because that anchoring of the client in their bodies means that they're getting this physical sense of safety by, by doing that. And that keeps them there, keeps them from dissociating, doing what my one of my friends, Fort Hood, who's a psychologist there calls just going out into space and they stay in their bodies, process and move through. We'll be back after a break. Please stay tuned. You're listening to High Energy Health. My name is Dawson Church. Please check out Stephanie's book, The Spark. We'll be back in a few moments. Hello and welcome back to High Energy Health. I'm your host, Dawson Church, and each week on the show, we explore lineage techniques that can really contribute to your health and happiness. Health and happiness are intertwined. We used to talk about mind-body medicine as though bringing these two together was some big discovery. Well, mind and body are one. Mind, body, energy, and spirit are one. Mind, body, energy, spirit, and consciousness are one. And when you are living your life as though you are a local expression of the great non-local consciousness, 
that changes everything. And if you are able to move into that space of oneness with that non-local consciousness every morning, every evening, that has a profound effect on the rest of your day. I begin and end my book, Mind to Matter, and I talk about that non-local state. In that state, research shows we have far more synchronicity, clairvoyance, and all kinds of other things happen in our lives than when we're not in that state. It also makes us far more productive at work. So get a copy of Mind to Matter if you haven't already. I also want to thank the people who've gone on Amazon.com and given the book five-star reviews. There are over a thousand five-star reviews now. People have made videos and said how much has changed their lives and the lives of people around them. So if you'd like to make that contribution to paying it forward, by all means, go leave a review. That is like leaving a review for your favorite author for their book is like leaving a generous tip for the waiter at a restaurant. <laughs> we authors thrive on reviews. So please do go and review our books. You can review Stephanie's book, The Spark, as well, and find out more about her and her work. And also, it's a very practical book, which you'll want to use and apply in your life. It's full of, of little exercises you can use. And also, Stephanie's beautiful energy, her, her sparky energy permeates the book as well. You can't help but get the spark by osmosis, by association, when you read her book. So you'll enjoy it for that reason, too. Stephanie, to end with, in this last segment, let's talk about the whole set of practices that is most meaningful to you and you share with other people to find that spark in challenging days. We talked about a morning practice and evening practice. We talked about neural plasticity and about how that triggers neural plasticity and helps you grow a new brain. So what do you do when you maybe meditated in the morning and you feel fine and you walk into the office and your boss has a big frown on her face <laughs> and your spouse says something mean to you and your, your 12 year old daughter says, I want to get a tattoo. <laughs> so so basically dawson you're talking about real life happens right yeah right yeah we right have to go to the monastery we, we have to deal with real life yes and you know and i think that's such an important thing because none of us are immune to life and so life's going to happen to all of us and i think if anything this pandemic has been such a lesson about how we have to, you know, stop doing these external programs for happiness and how important it is that we start programming it from within and experiencing it from within and that it's not dictated by our circumstances, that actually these challenges these difficult times can happen and we can transcend them. And it's not that, you know, my, my practice is one thing is to acknowledge it when we are having those emotions come up. You know, it's again, one of those mnemonic devices, what we resist persists. It's, it's about just experiencing it energetically in our body, breathing through it, because we can breathe through whatever comes up in the moment. But I would say one of my greatest tools and the ones that I work with my clients with is really about it's what happens in this 24 hours. It's bringing ourselves into the present moment, but we're experiencing it as happening now. Same thing of the past. If we're ruminating right now and we can't even shift out of this mind state. So what I really invite people to do is anytime that these difficulties come up, it's really these, I call them the three C's and they're not in the book, but they're, there's something I've really worked with in the last year with myself and with clients. And again, this could be part of your morning practice or any time. The first C is how do I, how do I take care of myself today? I might need to take a walk. I might need to make sure I'm eating nutritious food. I might need to go just take in the sky for a few moments. And the second C is how can I connect? If I'm feeling sad, if something's happened, 
And even if I'm having a great day, it's important that even if we can't see someone face-to-face in person, let's Zoom with one another. Let's call each other. More than texting, really you know, learning again how to connect. And the last C that's just been essential for me in my life truly was perpetuating happiness and good feelings is how can I be creative in this 24 hours? And for, for me, that can be as easy as I'm going to make a song list of 10 songs that make me feel amazing today. Next thing I know, I'm fixing dinner and dancing in the kitchen. Yeah, those are powerful ways of self-care and you can use them anytime. They don't require any special preparation or training and they're available to all of us at any given point in our lives. Having that intention too, to do those things. Another thing Wayne Dyer talked about is planning, pre-planning what you'll do when you do hit that rough patch and knowing you have those three C's and those resources in advance. Exactly. Well, and I tell people, calendarize it, you know, put it in your day, right down in the morning. These are some ways I can self-care today. These are some ways I can connect today. And this is one of the ways I'm going to make sure I tap into flow. Yes. No, and, and maybe I just put on some music and, you know, for 20 minutes, color in an adult coloring book. You know, it puts us in that state where we can be in flow and we can be in our creative self. We don't have to be painters or writers, but we shift into a different energy state. We take responsibility as well for our own well-being. Absolutely. That it is an inside job. Yeah. That it's not something out there that's going to make us feel happy or joyful. Even though we can enjoy all the things exteriorly, it really is an inside job. And we can cultivate that and grow it within us. We can. Stephanie, I'm so grateful for you, for your work, for your energy. And again, you'll feel Stephanie's energy permeating her book, The Spark. And it's full of these ideas, these tips, these things you can do for your own well-being anytime, any day. And so love yourself enough to make that list, to put that on the calendar, to exercise self-care, to make that resolution and take those concrete steps to build self-care into your life. You deserve it. And Stephanie I want, and I want you to know that you really can have a dramatically better life. Stephanie, thank you for sharing your wisdom and your energy with us today. It's been a real pleasure to connect with you. Thank you, Dawson, so much. It's been a joy for me as well. Also, I mentioned earlier that Stephanie is making a movie. And so go ahead and check out her movie. It's called Ignite Your Spark. Is that correct, Stephanie? Uh, When Sparks Ignite. When Sparks Ignite. Okay, good. So check out the trailer on YouTube for When Sparks Ignite. And you'll see many of the amazing cast of characters we've been talking about uh, today as well. They're sharing their wisdom. And know that you have that spark within you. It's just waiting there to ignite every single day. And then it is able to produce that emotional contagion and spread love and compassion and joy all around you. And you are dancing the dance Stephanie talks about. You are dancing for the world and the world dances with you. Thank you so much for joining me. You've been listening to High Energy Health. My name is Dawson Church. Please join me every week, same place for more of this inspirational and practical self-care. Thank you.